everybody welcome to the 126th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling live and direct from beaverton oregon i just shaved my face and i'm feeling fantastic and you know what dustin looks like a just like a lumberjack right now with his his beard unkempt are you jealous are you jealous of the beard sage this is glorious. I get crazy compliments on the beard. <laughs> well, you were in Portland. Of course you're getting bad compliments about the beard. Mm. I mean, you you have the genetic makeup in which to have a fantastic beard. I, is, that, is, that, is that a white boy joke? Yes, it was. Did you like that one? <laughs> I, don't I, 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 I don't personally find it funny for you to say unkept when i can see through your screen see a couple mirrors that still need to be hung up see some clothes on the floor sage <laughs> you got it that that apartment life is is it is how's it treating you bud it's good i feel like you just zoomed me you just zoomed the photo of the skype on me and i, I don't know how I, I feel about that but yes uh i need i need to definitely hit up the you know spend a day just cleaning up the spot I, i'm a dirty boy but I, I I know I I know this this right now is not suitable, so I need to step my game up, keep it cleaner. I'm an adult now, I'm 27. I own I I live in my spot by myself. Time for me to uh, you know step my cleaning game up, you know. But we're not gonna attack each other's facial hair and living situation in regards to mess. We're here to celebrate. The Portland Trail Blazers are going two and one in their first week of Blazers basketball. Do you think that's something to celebrate, though? They beat LeBron, even though ESPN doesn't realize that the Blazers actually really won that game. And yes, I realize two and one. Normally, it's we're very excited. However, Portland lost to the worst team of the three. Even though we both said on the previous week's episode this game would give them the most trouble, my my beef with the Blazers right now is the same as it was last year. You cannot lose home games to middle-of-the-road Eastern Conference teams, and that's exactly what the Washington Wizards are. They're going to finish 6th or 7th in the Eastern Conference, and Portland's going to look back at this game, and if last year was any indication – Every single game matters. One game separated home court advantage from maybe playing the Warriors or the, or the Rockets mm-hmm. in, the, in the playoffs. And so if you're feeling good about 2-1, and one, by all means, do you. I'm not here to take away your sunshine. My point of view is we got to protect the home court because we're about to head out on a four-game road trip. And it, it, in all honesty, the Washington Wizards at home – should have been a dub. Oh yeah, they should have. It should have been, but yo, Marquise Morris just hates or loves, however you put it, playing against the Blazers. He just he just go gets on fire against us for some reason. 
I feel like both Morris brothers' eyes just light up when they see Portland on that schedule. Well, there's a reason we've been able to beat the Phoenix Suns the last few years, and it's because they traded away both Morris, Morris brothers. Uh, for whatever reason, Terry Stotts does not comprehend that they are stretch bigs who only like to live on the perimeter, and they get hot in Portland, especially behind the arc. Uh, I don't know why we continue to let them walk the ball up, set that pick and roll. And it was just, it was the same song and dance the entire fourth quarter. It was like deja vu when we go back a game on Saturday, you know, I'm praising Terry Stotts both, you know, to you and to Olga. And I was like, that was incredible. All those double teams to LaMarcus were fantastic. They came from different players from different angles at different points of the game, just like we had hoped on last week's episode. And then he reverts back to his old habits in letting the Wizards run their offense just as they pleased. I understand that defending the pick and roll with Yusuf Nurkic against a stretch big is not ideal. However, there are a few options Portland could have done to alleviate the situation. The first being pressure the ball handler closer to half court, making them set that screen roll further away from that three-point line. That makes it much more difficult to just set up shop, and it probably makes Morris have to put the ball on the ground, which is what you want. Two, you could trap the ball handler and force them to swing the ball. Brad Beal started out hot, but at one point he was just 10 of 25. And, you know, I'd really rather let somebody else shoot a three other than Markeith Morris, who ended up 6 of 10 and really got into a rhythm. And the third, if you need a big in the game and you don't trust Nurkic, put in Zach Collins. It worked in fantastically against the Los Angeles Lakers where he had a career-high six blocks. But instead of taking out Nurkic for Collins during a stretch we put in Maurice Harkless and there were three straight possessions where we did not get an offensive rebound Mm -hmm. and that was the benefit of having the big men on the floor because Nurk was saving our ass when you have Dame and CJ combining to shoot 12 of 46 it was imperative that we had Nurkic on the floor who grabbed 18 boards I mean he had 22 points on just 16 attempts so Nurk was the reason we were even in that game so I understand fans upset with Terry for keeping him in there because of the the defensive deficiencies in that particular matchup. But you have to remember, nobody was on fire except for Stauskas, and they were guarding him pretty tight. And we were eating off of those second chance points mm. like we did all season with that Davis. So it's almost like a chicken or the egg scenario. And I think Portland could have lived with Nurkic if they had just made some defensive adjustments. Um, There were just breakdowns throughout that entire game, Sage. Um, I think I tweeted out that this it was it was a pretty unenjoyable game for me to watch. And I know you're probably thinking, Dustin, you're crazy. It was 125, 124 went into overtime. There was a, you know, a heap of threes being tossed in a lot of big time shots being made. But after that first half and the first half was, um, I think, pretty enjoyable. There were a couple of turnovers, but. The Blazers started off with that that lob to Jake Lehman. They uh, had a really nice uh, hockey assist, Dame to Nurk, then back to Jake for, for the slam. And they were really cutting and moving without the basketball. It was really beautiful basketball to watch for a stretch. Then for whatever reason in the second half, the team decided to up the pace even more, making just idiotic decisions with the basketball. The passing was absolutely abysmal. And the pace was just too fast. I mean, 
Everyone mm. was getting the ball one-on-one, three seconds into the shot clock, they were throwing up a shot. You know, I'm all for entertainment, but Sage, that was just too much. It was like I was out watching a rec game at Mount Hood Community College for Portland basketball. You know, you play there, you know, Monday nights at like nine o'clock, you got your squad and you go up against another team. That's what it was like, you know, one on five every time down. It was just, it wasn't my cup of tea. And I know the scoring is up so far and the pace is up, but to me, it was just too much. And I think Portland is getting caught up in this trend and they simply don't take good care, mm-hmm. good enough care of the basketball for it to be sustainable. Like yeah. running offense, punish the Wizards. Markeith Morris had four or five fouls for a long stretch of times. Foul him out, and then then what is Scott Burke going to do? He's got to bring back in Jason Smith or Ian Mahimi. And Ian was at, like he played four minutes in that game and hurt himself. So like they were really thin in the the front line, but you know the Blazers won the rebounding battle. But in that third quarter, when the Wizards made that run, they were gang be- rebounding the shit out of us. And it was it was Nerf first five. And when you're going against five v one, you're probably gonna lose those attempts. And that like that was where they made that run. Terry Stotts's rotations have been confusing. Nerf wasn't in the finishing five in the last in the first two games, and then all of a sudden was in the uh in the in the finishing five in the last five minutes of the game when he wasn't really punishing. He wasn't punishing Marquis for any of those players, and his defense was, you know, as you said, suspect. Do you think he, uh, Terry saw a matchup in why he wanted Nerf to stay in the game, or did he just not trust Zach to step up? Or what, what do you think his thinking was in that particular game, leaving in Nurkic for you know, the last 10 minutes of the game where he got he got abused. Well, it all comes down to the rebounding. That's the only reason Portland was in the game. We out-rebounded Washington 70-42. to 42. I mean, if you think about it, game was 7 of 21. CJ, I think at one time was 1 of 13, finished 5 of 25. You had your star players putting up 46 shots and none of them shooting better than 33%. There's a lot of rebounds up for grabs when you mm-hmm. don't have those guys clicking. Nurkic is our best rebounder. They were going small. You have to have him on the floor, and you have to figure out a way to make it work defensively because we saw Mo Harkos go in there, and they just backed him down. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that was my problem was there was no defensive strategy. Even Dame on John Wall, we allowed John Wall just to back Dame down Four or five times with with no double, no, no nothing. It was like we were we were scared yeah. of what would happen rather than giving up a you know an easy turnaround shot from a, an all star caliber player. So you know to me this game really was lost. Shot selection was atrocious. The decision making with the ball was was awful, and the defensive strategy was non existent. We let an zero and two team who had lost their first two games at home. Just come in and do whatever they wanted with us. And mm-hmm. I, I think we allowed them to to stick around. We built up a nice 10-point lead. The bench was doing just fine. And defensively, we just did not guard the paint. When the Washington Wizards made their run, it, they just attacked the basket. Layup after layup after layup. Yeah, just zero-step layup for John Wall all day. And, you know, he's good enough to hit most of those really difficult-looking layups. It, and I think no play 
epitomized the Blazers' defensive strategy more than the final play in regulation okay, after cool. Stauskas hit a monumental three. I mean, that was a catch and shoot, just nothing but net. And, you know, you think you have the game. You're up three, 12 seconds to go. Foul for possession. We have two of the best free throw shooters in the business. Let's just wrap this up with the charity striping and get out of here. For whatever reason, they got off balance. John Wall had a, had a jab step, was wide open, instinct kicked in. Chief went over, left Bradley Beal open. Beal hit from a couple feet from behind the arc. Not ideal. Um, obviously, you want to foul, but you have to be aware of a shooter going into the act, and you don't want to commit that shooting foul from behind the arc. And hindsight says, leave John Wall open. Yeah. He's probably not going to make that shot. And Brad Beal has a much better chance at hitting that J than John Wall any day. Like, Brad Beal is just a much better shooter. So, I, I, I mean, Amino did fuck up, but, you know, there were other plays where they Blazers messed up. But that one was the highlight one where I thought we were just, it was going to be an easy, you know, easy win. And then, you know, instinct. It, it, his instinct of, like, oh, crap, that, that a point guard has the ball and is about to shoot. I better run. You know that that kind of screwed us. But. Yeah, and it was a it was a tough way to end the homestand because you play so well against the Lakers, you followed up with a dominating performance against the the perennially um, fantastic San Antonio Spurs, and you just completely handled that game from start to finish. And you have an important contest before you go on this four game road trip, and you stub your toe. Now your back's up against the wall a bit because this is the Western Conference and you just can't afford to have these type of losses. Um, but let's let's talk about some of the good things that we saw over the first week of the season. Um, first with the, the Los Angeles Lakers. Okay. Um, I was there with, with Evan and uh, Matt. Not as many Laker fans as I was expected. Definitely quite a bit, but... Um, it, it, it wasn't any more noticeable than when the regular Lakers came to town or even when the current Warriors come to town, definitely obnoxious, but, you know, thankfully after starting out very slow, you know, Portland got down 10 early and, you know, LeBron had those back-to-back massive dunks. Um, you definitely heard the crowd, but Nick Stauskas, he, he brought the sauce over from the preseason and, if he gets open right now, it's it's looking like it's going to go in every single time. I mean, 24 points on 7-11, uh, 5 of 8 from 3, really kick-started that. And he, he powered a bench unit that, you know, got over 50 bench points. I think they got 55 or 56 bench points, which is incredible because we called out the bench as the weak link. But I thought Portland did just a fantastic job matching the Lakers when they went small. And I think a lot of that credit goes to Zach Collins. Maybe he's just a player that has to play with the starters for him to shine. I mean, because from what we saw in the preseason and last year, not super impressed, but he was able to come in, be the small ball five and protect the rim leading to a lot of fast break opportunities. I was supremely impressed with, with Zach and his defense and his ability to play without fouling out because he ended up with five fouls and still able to stay on that floor. So when I saw the game in the first part of the game, our pick and roll was atrociously bad. It's because the Lakers were playing that New Orleans Pelican style defense. 
on us for that first quarter, or until Stouses came in. Like, the lanes were very narrow, and we forced it in, and it's caused a lot of turnovers. JaVale McGee is a very athletic big. But when Stauskas came in and hit that first three, it allowed us to have spacing on the court because you can't leave him or he was going to hit the three. Or once they close out on him, he was able to pivot off that and score. Nick Stauskas having the game of his life just provided so much more offense for us in the third and fourth quarters when our stars were like, it's time to take over. Like Stauskas, just that X factor against the Lakers, and then he played really well against the Wizards. You and I poo-pooed and shit on that signing, and for the two out of the three games, he absolutely killed it for us, was the spacing we need. Dude, he was in the finishing five in a very, very close game. Stauskas is earning points with the coaching staff, the fans, and you and I, which were the two of the biggest Stauskas haters <laughs> this offseason. Like, he's really doing well. It's going to be interesting to see if he is able to keep up the high level of play, or will he regress down to the mean or a little bit better than the mean because he is moving better and it is a better system for him. But as of right now, he is the X factor in in our games. Yeah, it's something to watch for because the Spurs and Wizards have read the scouting report. They saw opening night and they were on him. He's going to have to learn to put the ball on the floor and attack the basket. He's done that a handful of times already this season. But for him to open up the defense, he's going to have to do that because they're not leaving him open. Mm -hmm. And you're not getting anything on the defensive end of the floor. Make a point to watch him play defense. He got shook pretty bad against the Wiz, and it it happens nearly on a game-by-game basis. So Stauskas is a player that, he has to be productive on offense because he gives a little bit back. Yeah, he, on the- he's like he's like Caleb Swanigan, where he has to be hitting, or he's a detriment to your team. And you saw with the San Antonio Spurs, they didn't really let him get open and comfortable. There were times where he like just straight up brick shots, and that's because the 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 Spurs saw that and was like, "All right, we can't let him do that." But the fact is, like a minimum contract guy. Was in the finishing five, two two games. That's fucking shocking that he was able to do that for at least two games, man. Like, and then the bench unit is looking better than we feared. Like Evan Turner, he's serviceable as the primary ball handler. I can't give him. I he's not as dog shit as he was last year. I still don't like watching him play basketball. Oh, absolutely. You don't like Edmund it, but Turner he's is producing. a walking turnover. Oh, he's the turnover monster. Absolutely. But so Stauskas, for his faults, I think he's more reward than risk. Turner is literally does something good, does something bad. Like it's always just like a give and take. And he's, he's one of those players that you have to like, it's like golf. It's like, you have to have more good possessions than bad possessions. And if you keep track, it'll be very easy to mark down good and bad. But the coaching staff, for whatever reason, trusts him enough to run that second unit, good or bad. And he's not, he's not absolutely dog shit. I still need to see more from him. I, he should never, ever, 
ever be allowed to take a shot outside of the paint. That should be an automatic yank to the bench. Yeah, I, I think the offense is him dribble up, pass it to one of his wings, post up the small guard that's guarding him. And that's what he do- should do every single play. But I'm sure in the next week or two, I'm going to regret very dearly saying positive things about him. But he didn't kill us in the, the three games that we played. What are your thoughts on Stotts pulling Dame and CJ and going straight five bench unit players for a long stretch of time in both the first and second halves? Do you do you like that? The, da- the, the data I read suggests that CJ actually performs better with Dame on the floor as opposed to Dame off the floor. But Dame has a slightly higher percentage when he's on the floor um, solo. Hmm. Well, I, I think that it's like we have this extreme strength when we play Dame and CJ together. No backcourt in the NBA can really stop both of them at the same time. And I would rather have that extreme strength play together for more time than they're away. Because you can focus your defense on one, but you really can't on two unless you have the perfect style defense. And most teams don't have like an all-pro defender at both spots. So I would rather go with the extreme strength. And I know, you know, it's good to have scoring on both times, but for right now, it's not biting us in the ass. So if we can get away with just, you know, seven minutes of the bench and then just blitz most teams with the two guards, I'm kind of in favor over that. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's worth testing out and... It's good that we had three home games to mm-hmm. experiment with the scenario, get the units comfortable with one another. But it'll be important to see how does this show travel? Does it travel mm-hmm. on the road? Are they able to be as consistent? Because we know we've said this time and time again, role players perform better at home. Absolutely. And my, my question is, I... Throughout the offseason, I assumed Nurk was part of the finishing five. But it doesn't seem like that's going to happen this year. Who are the consistent members of the finishing five? Or is it just Damon CJ and then the, the other three is whoever's hot or whoever has the positive matchup? I think we'll see Nurk more times than not. It's the teams that like to go small that give him a little bit of issue. I would say Dame, CJ, and Aminu are are the consistent finishing five because Aminu can play the three and he can play, if you need him, the five, depending on the lineup. So he can play all front court positions. Um, Those would be my finishing five. And then the other two are just whoever's hot? I mean, if you need to go small, you could put Seth Curry or Nick Stauskas at the three. Um, you always have Harkless in there to play the small four or the three. Zach Collins has been very effective at the five. Um, and then we already touched on Nurk. So I think there's a handful of players, um, up to nine guys you, you could see in, in that finishing five. But looking at that Spurs game that I thought was probably Portland's finest of the week, winning 121 to 108, really not even as close as that score indicates – Portland made a a team in the San Antonio Spurs, which for the past two decades 
the model of consistency. Mm-hmm. Very hard to blow out. Yes, I know San Antonio is experiencing some injury problems, especially at the point guard position. But Sage, uh, do you think the Spurs have what it takes? I know they had a great road win against the Lakers, and they they opened up their season with a home victory over the Timberwolves. So Portland is their only blemish. But just looking at LaMarcus and DeMar DeRozan, I don't know if they're going to get enough help. Yeah, uh, they start, they start Yaka Pertle, who essentially might be might as well be Jake Lehman. They, they get as much production out of him as we do Jake. Um, they just seem to shoot a lot of contested long twos. Mm-hmm. I mean, all, every one of their players, even when they were making their slight comeback, it was Patty Mills off the screen shooting a contested 18-footer, and I'm like, that's just not going to get it done. The Spurs are interesting because they are going to have to play extremely slow just because of, you know, the lack of talent. And then they're depending on DeMar and LaMarcus for damn near everything. So I think if they're competitive, they're going to be tough to beat. But if they get blown out quickly, you know, Pop's not a dummy. He's going to pull DeMar and uh, LaMarcus. But if it's close at all, they're playing damn near all the minutes, man. Yeah, and I thought this game, and which is why Monday night's loss against the Wizards kind of stings a bit, is because this was the epitome of how the Trailblazers can function. Dame and CJ both play 30 minutes. They both shoot 9 of 15 from the floor and combine for 53 points. I mean, they were just so efficient. I mean, they were the Spurs. I mean, they just carved them up. And when you looked at the box score, you're like, man, they got a ton of rest too. Like we're not having to rely on them so heavily this year, which is very impressive, especially against a team like the Spurs. But then you see the flip side. And I think this is what separates Portland from being a first round playoff team to probably contending for the Western Conference is we don't see enough of these type of games from Damon CJ. We see too many of the 12 of 45 when they kind of get into chucker mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously our success is going to be based on those two players regardless. So when they get into that mode of just me, 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 it's when we're going to lose those games. I mean, they might win games just because they get nuclear, but you know, when they're just dribbling 12 times a possession it's going to be a bad possession for us in regard, like, you know, plays of ball is player movement, ball movement. And if our guard is standing on the top of the key or, and just dribble, dribble, hezzy dribble, crossover dribble, behind the back, and then not just going east, west, not north, south, it's a bad possession. And, you know, teams like the Spurs or any team really will take them just trying to dribble hezzy us to death on, uh, on offense. So it really is playing in the other team's hands. Because like when we're at our best, and if they're shooting, it's decisive one-cut or two-dribble-type moves, get the space you need, and hit the shot. It isn't trying to put people on their victim units type of, type of moves. Yeah, and I think we see too many of that. Yes, he got Bryn Forbes. The bench reaction was fantastic. But the Blazers need a couple dribbles and then pass or shoot, like make a decision and keep keep that ball on a string and let's make something happen. But one other thing I want to talk about for this game 
are people still asking why are Blazer fans booing LaMarcus Aldridge? It, like, why is that still a thing? The answer is pretty damn obvious, if you ask me. I mean, we, we're we're in the West Coast. People don't really pay attention to us. I get it. I get why, we, you know, you have to remind the casual person of why, you know, Blazer fans feel so, of a certain way when LaMarcus is involved. But, man... Those double teams on him when he got posted up, when he posted up, he didn't feel comfortable at all. Like he couldn't establish position. He had to do really quick passes because he knew that that double team was coming quick or just like catch it and then make his move. So he couldn't like dribble five times, get comfortable and do the, the turnaround J or the hook shot. So they, the Blazers knew what to do with Lamarcus at least. I mean, they couldn't send doubles any other time, but at least for the guy that they some players have played with for you know four plus years, they 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 knew how to shut him down. Yeah, I I ask because there was a lady in a Lamarcus jersey, a Blazers Lamarcus jersey, sitting in front of me, and I I boo Lamarcus. You guys know my thoughts on on LA. There is no love loss there. Didn't like his game, didn't like the fact that he held the franchise hostage, said he was going to make all these promises, be the best trailblazer ever, and then completely mail in that series against Memphis and ditched us for the Spurs. So as long as he is a member of the opposing team, he's going to get booed until until he retires. That That's just facts. So I, I booed him during the intros, and he was taking his traditional long two turnaround bullshits, breaking them left and right. And I was just yelling out like all day, like keep shooting. And she turns around, like I'm not swearing. I'm not doing anything that a normal fan wouldn't do. She's like, quit being a dick. And I'm like, excuse me? Like, I don't like LA. She's like, why not? And I basically, everything I said, like you don't tell the fans you want to be the best trailblazer of all time and say, I'm going to hold off on signing my extension and then just ditch out. And she kind of just turned around. Um, and Olga chimed in too because, you know, she's ride or die as well. But I was just like – and it felt like she was cheering more for LaMarcus than the actual Blazers. I mean, they were very quiet. But it was just like, come on. Like, don't come to the arena in a LaMarcus jersey and not expect to hear booze. Like, mm. for – you know it's bad if Blazer fans want to boo former Blazers. Most of the time we give them – ovations and cheer them even if they're gone 10 plus years like we still remember that time we we respect that as as blazer fans but you do us dirty we hold that grudge near and dear to our hearts and we take that shit with us everywhere we go like we talked about last episode that chip on our shoulder just build i mean that's mm-hmm. just what we are as blazer fans do us dirty so, blazer fans go 7 30 boom so i had to get that story off of my chest but in something a little bit more lighthearted the only positive thing that happened from monday night sage what were your thoughts on those blazer costumes i think they set the bar incredibly high for all other halloween costumes for nba teams i mean it just proves that evan turner is an old school weirdo right buying teammates uh, jerseys and stuff really like personalized things that like he knows that they could rock it was cool to see, you know, the the our team be silly and stuff. So I enjoyed it. Um, 
I mean, for sure, because if you think of like the NBA player, the stereotype, oh, like they're too cool, sunglasses indoors, you know, I'm not going to try too hard. And you see fucking Jake Lehman waddling in a penguin costume. The two rookies, you know, Gary Trent had a nice little waddle at the end, too. Like they they were like invested. Like they, they, went they had all fun. In. Yeah, it was they, fun. Yes, they had fun. And, and um, you, you, you read shit about like Minnesota, for instance, and how none of those players hung out throughout the offseason. And you can tell that this team likes each other. And developing that chemistry and friendship and playing for each other is just a huge, huge benefit because we could have always, like, you know, like, certain players could beef. Like, Minnesota, for instance. Like, at least our guys care about each other and want to have fun with each other. And that, I mean, like, that continuity is only going to be a good thing. You're not going to, if players like each other, they're going to cheer for each other harder. And, you know, when you're going to a hostile crowd, and you, the 13 players there are the only fans that you've got. And if you're riding for your brother, that's only a good thing. Power rankings. What were your top three Blazer costumes in order? Evan, Dame, and Mo Harkless. Number one for me was Mo Harkless as Tyrone Biggums. That's one. Chappelle Show is, I think, classic classic sketch comedy um and, and tyrone is one of the best characters and mm-hmm. he really went all out he put the white around the lips he even did like the neck scratch and the shoulder shimmy like he he went for he, it he, had fun, yeah. he totally nailed i mean i was literally dying watching that come through on ig and twitter um ooh, these are tough what was cj what was Jason? Okay. Who was number two? I mean, this is obviously you had Nurk as, as the beast. Aminu was uh, Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street. Caleb was Where's Waldo. Wade was just a skeleton. Obviously, the rookies were the inflatable kangaroos, which was Jake was the penguin. Hmm. I would say number two is Dame as Stone Cold only because so Dame would could have challenged number one if you he needed to rock the jean shorts like you got to go jorts if you're going to go Stone Cold. You but know he he's a fashionable one. dude. He doesn't have jean shorts on the ready. Oh, you know, you know, Dame's got a pair of jorts. Um, Are you team jort? I, I'm, I am always been team jorts. I thought okay, they always do. They've always got a bad rap. Uh, but Dame had Dame, Dame had the walk down. He even had the stone cold like head nod left to right. Um, I'm going to do a little surprise. Number three, I thought Myers nailed his costume. Like 50s, 50s grease. Like that is Myers to a T. Like he really pulled that off and I felt that that suited him him well. So those would have been been my three. But I am stoked that they did that. Obviously, Portland heads out on the road. So this was their last home game in October. Sage, let's talk about this upcoming road trip. Obviously, Portland is 2-1, and one, had a beautiful chance at going 3-0 and possibly 6-0 leading up to you know showdowns with 
Houston, New Orleans, and Los Angeles to end November to end October and into November. But that is no more. They are two and one, and now they have to at least find a way to go 500 on this upcoming road trip. They have the Orlando Magic on Thursday, the Miami Heat on Saturday, Indiana on Monday, and Houston on Tuesday. So only one back to back. And we are going to discuss the first three three of those games. Mm-hmm. Um, first up with the Orlando Magic, kind of a dumpster fire roster, dumpster fire team. Haven't really been relevant since Dwight Howard was winning Defensive Players of the Year. They have a beast in Aaron Gordon. who yeah, He gets biz, man. Who gets rebounds, can play from the perimeter, is an athletic freak, has visions of, of a young Sean Kemp at times when you watch him just throw down some, some nasty dunks in traffic, but consistency ha- has been his, his issue. This is a team that I really think Nurkic is going to get a lot of playing time because they have uh, Vucevic, they have Bismack Biombo, they have uh, Mo Bamba. I mean, they are the team that has those traditional bigs. How bad is that Biombo contract now? Just as bad as Evan Turner. <laughs> Man, that that was a bad one for that Orlando Magic GM. But I get it. He was really good against when uh yeah Vucevic was out. He was really good, or uh Valjunas was out. Excuse me. I, I think all of the stuff you said about Aaron Gordon is absolutely true. But I trust Alfred Camino to shut him down better than most players. Like you talk about. Freak athleticism. Mino's got that. Mino's got really long arms to frustrate Aaron Gordon. He, he's he got the speed, he's got the size, he's got the wingspan, and he's got the heart and fire to really shut Aaron Gordon down. But yes, he's a very good player, But if he, and if he gets rolling, it's scary, but I think that Amino will do a fine job at, you know, disincentivizing Aaron Gordon to do work. Uh, they got Evan Fournier, who CJ McCollum has beef with. I remember last year he said something to the effect of like "you're soft, just like the crepes you eat" type of type of uh, uh, type of diss. And this is a a team that doesn't really have a strong point guard. I mean, the no, DJ, DJ Augustine. DJ Augustine's playing 30 minutes a night for them, but they are coming off in a fantastic win. They won 93-90 in Boston against arguably the Eastern Conference power uh, this season as LeBron moves west. Uh, They had a a nice home opener victory as they held off the Miami Heat, but, you know, they are 2-2, and and this is going to be, I think, a, a test for the Trailblazers to see where they're at mentally mm. going into Orlando to play the magic is not sexy. No celebrities are going to be lining up there to sit courtside. No national TV is, is going to be there to broadcast the game. There's going to be no hype. The only people that are going to care about this game, probably just blazer fans. I don't know if magic fans exist to the point where they care about their team. Um, <laughs> they've been so bad for so long. So can Portland generate their own energy and can they, come out strong because whenever you play a a subpar opponent the longer you let them stick around the more confidence you let Absolutely. them Absolutely. So Portland needs to come out with a killer instinct 
And it, it will be interesting to see how they respond from that Washington loss. Are they ready to get back to business and really take all of their aggressions out on Orlando? Or do they still have a have a you know a hangover? You know, I know we played on Monday and the game is on, on Thursday, so that's nearly 72 hours, but I mean it's happened before. Oh yeah, we get lackadaisical against what we perceive are bad teams. It's happened for years and you know, the team hasn't really changed. We've been last week, lack of days ago against the Sixers when they suck. I'm sh- uh, did we didn't we lose to Orlando in Orlando in the past? So th- oh, yeah. this is part of a, the problem of the Blazers culture. We sometimes get lackadaisical. It's really going to be important, Dame and Terry Stotts, to motivate the troops and tell them that we can't deal with that. The West is too strong for us to fuck around in games that we should dominate in and lose. We can't, there is no losing in this Florida road trip. Yeah, I think the X factors for me are going to be rebounding. That has been Portland's strong suit throughout throughout these these first three games. If we can keep Orlando off the boards, in particular, Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, who just recorded his first career double-double against the Celtics, and the the aforementioned uh, Vucevic, who... Just always seems to get Portland fits. He so, he's definitely he's definitely trouble. So with that, you have foul trouble. Can our bigs stay out of foul trouble? This is a game where we cannot afford to have Myers and Zach and, and, and Yusuf all dinged up with fouls. So we have to defend without fouling. And lastly, I think this is the first test for the bench. How do they perform on the road? So far, they've been playing fantastic. I think overall that they're sharing the ball well. Um, they're maintaining leads. Can they do that against a, a bench that that I generally think they're better than? Like, can they take advantage of Orlando's bench? Because that's where Portland could really see some separation, especially if the starters get off to a slow, slow pace. What do you think? What are your expectations? Well, the, that bench, the, the Orlando bench, has potential to explode because they've got Ross. And, uh, shit, who else? They have Jonathan Simmons. Mm-hmm. They have some play. They have, like, legitimate NBA players that could get busy if we dilly-dally. But, yeah, it is a tense test for the bench. But, man, you look at the, the depth chart of both teams, and we have just such a distinct advantage at point guard. I mean, like, DJ Augustine, fine backup. Good third, third guard. David Lillard's a... MVP candidate. Show them why you're an MVP candidate, Dame, and just blast this th- that weak point guards. Like, DJ Augustine and Jaron Grant don't scare me at all. Dame should get really busy. You got Blazers, Glenn? Absolutely. I do as well. Moving on, the Miami Heat in the arena, the Trailblazers have traditionally played fantastic in over the course of of time since Miami became a franchise in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, the Heat are somewhat of an enigma. They're um, banged you, up. You just don't know what you're going to get. You spoke about the injury, Sage. Who's dinged up for the Miami Heat? Deion Waiters, Justice Winslow, and James Johnson. They and haven't James played Johnson's him in. a guy who has always given us fits, too. Oh, yeah. He's like the perfect. He'd be a very good blazer. Nice third guard, third big off the bench. They the 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 Heat have players that could get hot, but we don't know who actually is going to play. Like they've they've run a a lineup with like 
I'm guessing two guys that most people don't know their names of. Probably three, to be honest. Not many people know who Josh Richardson is, but he's very good, so we should watch out for him. But, like, their starting five for this year is Goran Dragic, Rodney McGruger, Josh Richardson, uh, shit. Uh, Kelly Olenek? Nope. Not Kelly. He's he's off the bench. So it's, uh, he, Derek Jones Jr. is four, and then Hassan's five. Not many people know who the two, three, four are. Like, so we can't, we can't, uh, dilly dally against them as well just because they're no name guys. They're no name guys that play extremely hard in games, man. This team has the potential to beat us if they get hot. And I would expect a close game. Um, if you're Portland, the Heat, yes, they're one and two. But over their three games, the point differential combined has been five. They've mm-hmm. lost two games by a combined four points, and their one victory came by one. So if the early trend is indicative of anything, it's going to be a close game down to the wire, which the last few have. And it's cliche, but my X factor is Damian Lillard because the last couple times we've needed wins in Miami – we've rode his shoulders and he mm. traditionally gets the better end of Goran Dragic. And I just don't know if they have the defensive chops to stick with our backcourt. Um, yeah. Josh Richardson might be able to move on to one, but who is going to get be defending uh, the other. And mm. I think this is a, a great, another great game for Nurkic. If he can keep us on off of the, the, glass. Off of the boards mm-hmm. and, those minimalize those lobs and just don't let him be too much of a force on, on the interior because he is a similar player to Rudy Gobert where he, he can block a lot of shots and he has given us fits um, especially at at the Rose garden at the past couple of seasons. So Hassan is a player that you just don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. You've got to disincentivize him. You absolutely have to disincentivize him to play hard because if Nurk just gets into his, his shit Bullies him. I think he could break. He's Hassan has put up some really great numbers the first three games. But if Nurk can just be that annoying center that just gets in his spots and forces Hassan to play harder, there's a chance he could break. And if he's broken, I'm I think Nurk can just be spam be spam. Who's just Bam out of Bayou. Bam out of Bayou who you know he's a sophomore, he could keep Nurk could get biz, just pump fake him, watch Bam jump up in the air and draw contact and get fouls. That Zach versus Bam battle, Ooh, um, that's gonna be second fun. Year, second year bigs for those diehard NBA fans out there who love the draft and love seeing how people progress. That's a matchup that I'm personally excited to see. See if Zach can continue on his you know trajectory. And Bam was a fantastic rookie, so. Um, I think this is going to be a good contest. Again, I'm going to go with the trend. Close game. Dame's going to bail us out late. Look for Nick Stauskas in this one to have Ooh, a big Are you, are you thinking? Of, damn. Okay. The sauce is going to be there in Miami? I okay. just don't know. With them being so de- um, banged up, especially on the wing, Josh Richardson can only guard one player. Yeah. Rodney McGruger gets biz. He had a very good game the last time the Miami Heat played. I've watched Miami a lot for the last week since the season started. But uh, I think 
that it's going to be a very close game. Miami is going to put in that old trustworthy superstar Dwayne Wade for the last three minutes. Blazers are going to go on a pretty gnarly run and get the win. If if Dwayne Wade is po- is posting up at the mid post, taking that back turnaround jumper, Blazers are going to win that game because if Dwayne's feeling himself, he's going to take that a lot. And, dude, that's a really tough jumper, especially when you contest hard. The last game we're going to preview is against the Indiana Pacers, a team that I really like their offseason. I think they got a steal in Tyreek Evans. Victor Oladipo finally made the jump, and they really gave Cleveland all they could handle, forcing them to seven games in in last year's postseason. But so far this year, when they've been challenged by a quality opponent, they've really fell flat on their face. They opened the season with a very impressive um, 28-point victory against the Memphis Grizzlies. Then they play that quality opponent, lose by 17 on the road in Milwaukee. They rebound. They destroy the Brooklyn Nets by 20 at home. But again, they go on the road to Minneapolis, play those Timberwolves. They lose by 10. I happen to think Portland is a quality opponent. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we're going to blow them out but by 10 or 20. But again, if we're looking at early season trends, this has got to be a positive if you're a Trailblazer fan. Portland handled the the much improved Indiana Pacers both times um, in, in 2017-2018. But but something to consider is Miles Turner really put a lot of work on his body mm-hmm. in the offseason. I mean, he was a little out of shape. Um, and he, really, he really got he got chiseled. And so mm-hmm. he's always been a pick and pop threat. He is their center. So this could be another game where Nurkic maybe doesn't end up as the finishing five. Like the first mm. two games of this road trip, heavy Nurk. I think we go, you know, big, big minutes. This might be time where we go a little bit smaller, bring in Zach, and hopefully he has the same effect and impact as he did on the Lakers game where he's blocking shots inside, but he's also able to stay with his man on the outside. So is the Pacers, Darren Collison, Victor, Tyreek, Thad Young, Miles Turner? Is that their starting five? No, they got uh, Bogdanovich. Uh, they have Tyreek and they have uh, Sabonis on on the bench. And Corey Joseph's a good and Corey. So yes, though this and is Kylo a Quinn who is a Blazers killer. So I think this is the game. Finally, the Blazer bench comes down to earth. I think the Indiana bench is going to keep them involved. I mean, just reeling off those names. They have a lot of bucket getters and the starters, they're going to have to pull their weight. And I I think you start with Dame Mm -hmm. because Darren Collison isn't the Darren Collison when he was with New Orleans, when he was backing up Chris Paul and he was this emerging player who was had all this energy and was was gritty on the defensive end of the floor, he's not stopping anybody. Yeah, he doesn't um, really give a shit. He's just trying to run fast and shoot threes. But I really like this matchup because Aminu plays – he matches up so well against Thad Young. Oh, Aminu's going to eat Thad Young for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Thad Young's uh, like a 6'6 power forward, isn't he? He's a small guy. Mino's just gonna put those big hands up and block some shots. I feel like Thad Young's like six nine or six ten. Alright, well Google up. He's six eight, six eight. Okay. But still, Aminu's you know Aminu's gonna shut Thad Young down. I mean, 
what Thad Young is now is an offensive rebounding monster. But you know what? I mean, he was a damn good rebounder on the defensive side. So that, but I, I got faith in that. What scares me in the matchup is the bench and then Miles Turner. I mean, that Miles Turner is just a bad boy, and it, it's not the best matchup for Nurk. Tyreek Evans scares me personally. Uh, we have no answer for him, and if he gets going, especially in the paint, we got a low budget a- version of him. Well, the the high the the rich man version of him, if you're talking base scale, but in actual efficiency, the poor man's version of him in Evan Turner. Just because I'm a homer, I think the Blazers win a close one. But that that's really the only rhyme or reason. Everything else to me is pointing to Indiana winning this game. But I think, I think it's a coin toss for sure. Yeah, it's a coin toss. It's early enough in the season where my optimism is, is still uh, at a decent clip. So I'm just going to go Blazers. But um, Evans, uh, Evans and Turner... Oof, those boys, those boys worry me. This might be a game where Damon CJ just have to go go crazy. Yeah, um, it's tough because I, I I think it is a coin toss, and if it was in uh, the Rose Garden, I would go Portland. But since it's in Indiana, I'm gonna go the Pacers win, and it will be a two in one week for the, the for the Portland Trailblazers. We do have two uh, fan questions, and then we'll wrap. Uh, question one is, let me pull it up. Do you trust that the bench squad has enough power to help the Blazers get to top five seed in the West? So how do you feel about our bench? Oh man, even, even as well as they're playing, that's hard to say top five because you've, I mean, the West is just so stacked and and, and it's so early too. Like we don't know if OKC is going to be this bad. I mean, they haven't won won a game yet. Um, Utah hasn't has looked subpar. I think they lost at home to, to Memphis. Then you got teams, as your boy predicted, New Orleans came out guns blazing. They're four and They're undefeated. Um, Denver is four and undefeated. Um, obviously, Golden State. I, I think Houston isn't as good as they were last year, but they're still uh, a notch above of the Trailblazers. I will say this. Maybe not top five, but if the bench can continue to play this as they are, meaning Evan Turner limits his turnovers and plays smart basketball, Nick Stauskas provides spacing on the floor and is a consistent threat from from downtown. Zach Collins gives you you know good defense um, and the timely bucket, and Seth Curry can can get loose every now and then, and they really can take some time off of Damon CJ's you know game logs. Portland moves more from the borderline. Are they going to make the playoffs or not to a solid? Yes. Portland is in that group of six or seven teams that you're saying they're definitively going to make the Mm. Western conference playoffs. So I'm not ready to say top five yet, but I will say if they can keep it up, they move into that guaranteed postseason spot. What do you say? So that, I don't trust that they'll make it top five. I have a sneaking suspicion that the regression will be very real in a few weeks where we're going to be complaining about, man, well, we, I wish we could buy a bucket with this damn bench. Our, our starting five is playing outrageously long minutes. So, no, I don't trust it, but I'm really enjoying the fact that we can trust a bench player to be in the finishing five in two out of the three games. 
Um, that question was by Panelin152, who is a uh, Lakers fan, but he happened to ask us this question. Um, so there is a second question, and this is by Mr. Cobby Cobb. Thoughts on the Prince alternative Timberwolf unis? And are are we finally going to get the whole Jailblazer story, story from Darius Miles? Two thoughts. First, I believe the Jailblazer story was going to come from Damon Stoudemire. And yes, somebody needs to follow up with him because I want to see that documentary. I know Carrie Agers has a book scheduled near Thanksgiving to release on the Jailblazers, which I'm definitely going to cop. Um for the Minnesota Timberwolves, yeah, I'm all for anything Prince themed. Like if if we're gonna do a new city uniform every single year, I think you have to take some risks um, and not be the Houston Rockets and have the same city uniform every year where it's just your roster or just your your name, but in and the a skyline. different a different language. Yeah, like that that's their city uniform every single year. Um, or you get the Celtics who ooh we put a we put a different color stroke on on the outline of Boston. So like I'm all for taking risks. Um, I love absolutely. The best thing about that is, is the font. I, I think the font they used was purple rain to the T. Um, I'd have to see them in person. I, I think the shade of purple could be a little better, but overall fantastic. I love that they're incorporating Prince. He was such a big part of, of He's that. Part of the city. Yeah. The, I, yeah. You know, if you can fuck with something from your city, it means there's originality towards your Jersey. It and Prince was you. the most original. Like yeah. that, there was nobody ever going to be like Prince again. So I am all for that. I can only hope that the Blazers, both city and earned uniforms, are are fire. So we haven't seen the city yet, right? There's no, there's no nope. leak or anything. I think the first we'll probably see a leak within the next week because I think early November is when they when they drop. Hell yeah! Do you have any? idea of what the city edition jersey will be outside of it saying I mean, my guess is it's, it'll say rip city um because it, city is in our, our fucking nickname so it better say that um i have no idea hmm yeah i don't know i'm not i'm not the type of guy to, to answer this question I, w- I wish our guest was here to to take this one for me but you know what shout out to Eminem. i'm sorry that we promoted the pod and he wasn't able to get on He's still our boy, and we love him. Um, do you have anything else you want to say about this week of Blazers basketball? Or we get yeah, it? shout out to Evan who bought me and Matt beers at the home opener Ooh, because we wait. waited thirty minutes in that line, and he said we're not all going to wait here and not get beers. So thank you, Evan. He took uh, one for the team. Yeah, I fuck. I didn't ask him. He's like, hey, do you want? I was like, hell yeah, I want one. So uh, it was a fun atmosphere. It was amazing to beat the Lakers for the umpteenth straight time in a row. We won 18 straight home openers. Um, the new intro with Portugal, the man is absolutely sick. Um, I love it. it. gives me like the chills every time I see it. Um, the, the, the intros were for the opening night were, were really well done um, with all of the bells and whistles and all of the, the technology that they kind of brought out. So, um, an amazing atmosphere. I'm already looking forward to the next um, Laker game. I'm going with Matt on the third. Bought tickets to go see the Pelicans on Thursday with you. So, you know, got a lot of Blazer basketball lined up next week. Hopefully we have a good record going into those games because, you know, that's 
that's what makes those games even that much more special when there's you know something something bigger riding on on the line more than just the the win or the loss if you know what I mean. Um. So for me, developing more podcasts in the in conversations with some people about doing some pretty cool original stuff for Sage Digital, the network that we are broadcasting from. Um, I'm doing something kind of different with my streams. One of my good friends, DJ Real, he and I played uh, the game Grand Theft Auto uh, 4 for probably like a thousand hours minimum. I played that game with him every day for like two years in a row. Uh, he passed, and I'm doing an homage to him, so I'm completing the entire game on stream. It's pretty fun. Check me out at mixer.com slash desage, D-A-S-H-E-E. And uh, that was a great show. Um, and uh, we will see you guys next week with some more bla- Blazers fire flame emoji type content. Both teams played hard. Good night and God bless. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go. Come on in.